Welcome to The Big Deal, where we'll unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and around the world. Join me, Warren Treadray, along with Andrew Montessi, Dion Heyman and our expert guests as we take you into the boardroom for behind-the-scenes access and analysis of contracts, negotiations, endorsements and more. Don't forget to sign up at www.thebigdeal.au for a weekly wrap of the latest deals, breaking news and many more exclusive opportunities. Welcome to The Big Deal, where we unlock the details and drama behind the business of sport in Australia and right around the world. I'm Dion Heyman, and welcome to AFL legend Warren Treadray. G'day, Dion. How are you? Treaders, we're lucky enough to chat with a guy who has the reputation of one of the most accomplished list managers in the AFL, and he's on pretty good terms with himself after bringing last year's number one draft pick to Alberton in Jason Horn francis Jason Cripps played 60 games with St Kilda before retiring in 2002. He spent a year playing in the VFL with Tasmania. Once his playing days were over, he rejoined the Saints as a development coach and then progressed as an assistant under Grant Thomas until the end of 2006 when Thomas was brutally sacked. At season's end, Cripps joined Port Adelaide to work as an assistant coach under 2004 Premiership coach Mark Williams. And that was in the 2007 season. He worked under senior coaches Williams and later Matthew Primus as an assistant coach until the end of 2011 where he transitioned to become Port Adelaide list manager a role treaders he still holds today. He certainly does, and uh, we welcome Jason Cripps to the big deal. Cripper, how are you? Good, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, have you got some head wobble at the moment, or what? Uh, Warren, as you know, in this industry, it's uh, it's quite fickle, and if you get it, you get ahead of yourself, you get shot down pretty quickly. And my uh, my favourite saying is they're building a statue one week and trying to sack you the next. So um, uh, we're we're realistic of um, you know these the trades that go through they. They can look good at the time. And I, I do laugh when the media bring out their scores of who's a winner and who's a loser. Um, I think we all know that the true um, review and valuation of these trades is done further down the track. So, uh, yeah, look, we're, we're, we're excited with what we've been able to do and um, hopefully it transfers to um, some success on field. Now, at the end of the 2011 season, you transitioned from coaching to list management. Uh, Peter Rode was running the footy department at Port Adelaide. How did that come about? You know, and did you have to do studies and negotiation uh, stuff? Because it's a totally different role. Oh, it is. I, I, was, uh, I, I managed to do a, a master's in business management when I was assistant coach at St Kilda um, that specialised in organisational change and, and development. So I had, I had a bit of a, a passion and an interest in the in the business and, and strategy side and the, and the HR um, aspect of, of of business and also did some uh, facilitation with leading teams for a number of years in the, in the leadership space. So uh, that that was certainly an area of interest. Um, obviously, was assistant coach for seven or eight years um, across St Kilda and, and Port Adelaide. But yeah, I was I was fortunate enough at the time. Um, Mark Hazeman was CEO of Port Adelaide and. Peter Rowe, GM of footy, uh, back in 2011 or 2010, we initially had the discussion when, when uh, free agency was was you know was coming in at some point over the next few years, and clubs were starting to appoint list managers. So Port Adelaide at the time didn't have one, and, and there was an opportunity to move back to Melbourne and be the club's first official list manager. So Jason, not um, worried so much about obviously the last couple of years of of COVID, which has uh, no doubt been incredibly challenging, but. Uh, Say, so looking forward to most of this season and next season, what, is, what does your average week look like? 
Uh, yeah, well, it depends on the time of the year. So the, obviously when the season starts and there's practice games um, from February, so we pretty much run from February right through till the end of November, till till the end of the draft. Our downtime is December, December, January. But specifically my role, um, spend the first part of the year really focusing on the, the new talent um, for, the, for the upcoming draft, in particular the NAB League, because the first four weeks of the NAB League, all, all the players are playing before they go and play for their respective schools. Obviously, the private school system in Victoria is quite strong um, in terms of in terms of the talent um, that's associated with those schools. So, new talent early, um, then probably from round five and six onwards, start to get a feel um, in terms of the, the rest of the, the country, new talent, state league. While that's happening, also attending as many AFL games as I can, in, in particularly Melbourne Thursday, Friday night, Saturday night. So, you know, any, any weekend could be from watching eight to ten games um, in terms of new talent, AFL games, state league games. June, July is a really important part of the year. Um, under 18 national championships, under 16 national championships, which is obviously our heavy, heaviest weighting in terms of benchmarking the players for the upcoming draft. Um, and then obviously we move into August, September finals. We start shaping our draft board post the national champs to have understanding of who we really want to focus in on uh, for the remainder of the season. And we spend a lot of time traveling the country and watching players um, specifically that we need to continue to track that we think are draftable and will stay on our draft board. So a ballpark figure, how many hours a week would you be putting in at the coalface, would you say? That's uh, a good question. Um, I would say it's twenty four seven in terms of the mind. Um, wow! You know, especially especially, uh, especially post champs. Uh, you know, you, you're constantly evaluating our list, watching our players' development. Are they progressing as well as we thought? Are players regressing? You know, where's our gaps? What we thought was going to be a gap may not now be a gap, or um, suddenly a player hasn't developed in a role that you think that he would suddenly becomes you need to start focusing on that so it, it, it's constant evaluation of our list and conversations with 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 Ken and Chris Davies and our coaches identifying that gaps plus also working with with the recruiting team in terms of how, how we're going to fill some of these gaps identifying players in the draft that can help us um, it, it's in, in the mind constantly but um, you know dur- during the week there's a little bit more flexibility obviously watching a lot of vision, um, assessing a lot of data, um, whether it be game day data, GPS. Um, and then, you know, there's a lot of time spent conversations with with player player managers and meetings with player managers. Um, you know, one thing I've learned in this role is that information's king. Um, and you need to be, you know, across what's happening at other clubs and your best source of information and knowledge is actually from the player managers. So I spend a lot of time strengthening those relationships and ensuring that I'm up to date with, with what's happening and making sure we've got yeah all the right information um, available at the time. So talking about the draft, I mean, uh, you say information is king. There's no doubt about that. One thing that fascinates me is that um, there are still, even today, despite all the information that uh, the clubs, recruiters, have at their fingertips and all the games that you watch and all the videos that you watch, all of that, there is still um, the odd top 10 draft pick that sneaks through and he turns out to be a dud for whatever reason. 
how do you avoid picking one of these guys? Because, you know, when you've got a top 10 draft pick or a high pick and, and it's a bust, it sets you back potentially years, doesn't it? It does. And, and, and history shows that the top 10 is obviously gives you, gives you the best chance of um, being able to select, you know, a, a match winner or an influential player or, or a star of the competition. But it's also a 50% bust rate. Um, so it, it is no, there, there is no guarantees. Obviously, you, you're back in your systems and your processes and, and your people. Um, and also your experience of, you know, being able to review um, previous drafts and previous successful picks and previous busts to try and constantly learn and assess, well, why was that player successful? Why, why was that player a bust? Um, but at the end of the day, that... You actually don't know until they're in, you know until they're in your environment, um, and some players do surprise you. Um, some players disappoint you. What you thought you know you were actually getting. So it it really is still an unknown until they're in until the environment. Now, are they able to um, handle the pressure? Um, are they able to improve, develop the areas of the game that were weaknesses when they're drafted? Because there's no perfect player. Every player's got warts. Um, and it's whether those players can improve those warts quickly and, and, and also whether they can transfer their strengths and why they are drafted. We draft a player based on what they can do. Um, it's whether they're able to then transfer those strengths to, to the elite competition. And to be honest, you actually you don't know till they're out there. And we, we talk about this often, you know, form, form in the sandfall can be misleading because a player can be really dominant in the sandfall and a great state league player, but... They can't transfer that to the highest level, and then there's other players who who um, find the state league competition difficult and actually better AFL players. And probably some great examples for us is Darcy Byrne Jones. You know, he wasn't he wasn't a dominant Sandville player, but he's gone on and been an All Australian and won a Best and Fairest. He was just better at AFL level. Uh, we feel you know the Miles Bergmans, even Todd Marshall. When you've seen Todd at Sandville level, he's just better at AFL level because. Some players are just better um, with better players around them. Um, and also the speed of the game at AFL level suits them also. So it's not an exact science as the saying goes. That's real. Well, the world's becoming a data world. Uh, no doubt footy is too. Um, what sort of data do you keep on players? Is it GPS? Um, do you do any psych testing? I've even heard some clubs will follow social media accounts of prospective draft, drafted players. Um, can you give us some insight as to how much work you do? Yeah, we've got a we've got a guy by the name of Michael Regan who's who's full time um, in our recruiting list management team, and he's he's got a data background. He was actually re- one of the original guys that uh, worked at Catapult with GPS, um, and he's upskilled himself. He's he's lived in the states and worked with some of the sporting clubs over there. He's he's our analytics guy. Um, he's he's brilliant at what he does, and he's full time. Uh, Without a part, we've got another guy, Brett Anderson, um, who also has some sort of data IT background. Um, and we do, we, you know, our, our favourite saying is data is just another another voice in the room or another chair at the table. Um, you know, I think gut feel and what you see on the eye is critical, but it's being able to take that, what the recruiters are seeing in terms of the eye and gut feel and being able to put it into into a metric, metric into a report, um, and then the data guys are able to have their opportunity to challenge what the guys are seeing. Is it real? Ask the question, support what the eye is seeing. So 
start, it does play a critical role, but it, it is just a it's a, another voice in the room. Um, but yeah, GPS really important. We we get GPS data from the age of sixteen, um, national champs. Um, we also obviously get the get the game data we you know scrutinise pretty heavily, but we certainly put a, a heavier weighting to give you an example of the use of data. And this is just our philosophy is, you know, we place a heavier weighting on the game day GPS data than what we do the combine test. And if you actually look at a player's 20 meter sprint or agility or a 2K, there's actually, there's not a lot of transfer from the combine testing to what that actually looks like come game day, but you can't hide from the GPS. So the GPS is our, is our greatest um, indicator, if you like, in terms of being able to measure a player's physical capabilities and being able to profile them physically. Well, there's no doubt the draft is uh, is important and will continue to be, but more and more of the top sides are uh, are spurning the draft um, and perhaps using free agency and recruiting to, to stay at the top. Geelong and Sydney, obvious examples. Is that your philosophy or um, do you think there's got to be a balance or does it depend, depend where you are on the ladder in terms of your, your cycle? Yeah, that's a that's a it's a really interesting question. And every club, I would think, would have a different um, a different answer and, and what their philosophy is. You know, I think there's some clubs that we're seeing now that are going through the rebuild stage. Um, what what I what I will say is our, our philosophy as a club, and it and it and it always has been, and and, and I'm sure it always will be that um, we don't want to be a club that rebuilds. Um, we won't be making list decisions that. Um, in some ways, ensure that we we finish closer to the bottom to try and acquire top end talent. That that doesn't mean we won't find ourselves down the bottom at, at, at some um, some period. But our goal is to consistently improve our list to compete. Uh, we want to win. Um, we we have a football club and a football de- department that's rich in history on on success, and we go into every year trying to improve our list with the aim of playing finals, with the aim of hopefully being able to challenge for top four and challenge for premierships. Um, us and Geelong up until this year from 2013, us and Geelong were the only two teams that hadn't finished below 10th. Um, so we didn't have access to the top end talent. So we had to be quite brave and and, and creative with some of our strategies around trying to in, improve our list. So, you know, when you're trying to remain competitive, um, challenge every year, aim to play finals, you need to use free agency, you need to use trade, you need to use draft. That's our philosophy to use a combination um, of all three. Uh, you know, you, you can go and look at history and and see that clubs have, have gone down the rebuild path. Is there's no guarantees. Um, you know, there's some clubs have been rebuilding for 20 years. You know, like respectfully to Melbourne, I think they had four or five goes and they finally got there. Um, and well done to them. But you know that that for 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 15, 20 years. Um, it was it was a struggle for them. You know, I think recently the Kangaroos with where that, you know, it, it can there can be some unintended consequences around your environment and around your culture and you know the the the, the idea of um when you're not competitive on field, what, what impact does that have on the development of your younger and emerging players? So um again there's no there's not necessarily a right or wrong, but in terms of Port Adelaide and our philosophy. Um, we're really clear from board level down um, what our philosophy is and what we're trying to achieve every year. It doesn't guarantee success, but we have a really clear philosophy and clear plan and we stick to it. Does the Geelong model and what we saw this season um, change your thinking a little that blokes can go deeper into their 30s than what may, many would have thought? 
Yeah, I think, and we again we we we're, we're a club that's um, we throw the we throw the the birth certificate out. I mean, we you know Travis Bogues playing next year, he's thirty five. You know, Robbie Gray retired this year at thirty four. You know, we would have loved for Robbie to keep playing, but you know, unfortunately, um, time does eventually catch up um, with some guys, be it through through injury or they they lose a little bit of speed. Um, you know, or, or, or you know, it becomes as you know, Warren. It's it's pretty exhausting. Um, you yep. know, and you've got to be up for the fight. You need the energy, and some guys just get to that point where they're exhausted. Um, but our, our philosophy is, if if the players um, still are able to help us win games of footy, they're in a best twenty-two. Um, they add to the culture and the locker room environment Monday to Friday. They're a leader. They're a great role model. You know, we want him to keep playing, and 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 you know, I think Bokey's a great example of that. Um, he's still one of our best players. Um, you know, he, he, we know that he's a pro's pro. He wants to play for as long as he can, and as long as Travis keeps performing at the level he is, and he's a terrific role model. Um, he, he'll keep playing. Um, so we we certainly don't look at age. We're asking you about your average week before, Jason, and um, I guess in terms of uh, work-life balance, uh, there's a lot of work and um, not sure uh, how you're squeezing too much downtime in there, but uh, it'd be remiss uh, of me not to ask you about, um, you know, a few years ago when you were just 38 and uh, had that uh, shocking heart attack in, in Perth and, and just in terms of how that has changed your outlook on life and, and how you manage it with this work-life balance, because uh, you seem to be... Uh, uh, almost a workaholic, maybe, or that's a demand of the job. Oh, it is. I think everybody in the industry uh, is a hard worker. You have to be, otherwise, you um, you know, you get caught out, you get exposed. Um, now, look, I, my my health, you know, is what it was before um, the, the the heart issue in Perth. I'm, I try to look after myself. Um, I like training still. I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm, I was pretty anal in terms of. My diet previously been at a, a, when I was playing and, and post playing, I probably relaxed a little bit now as I've got older. But um, I'm certainly conscious of yeah, trying to um, you know have a have a healthy diet and yeah, remain as fit as fit as possible. But you know these we know with health issues, you you can be really fit and healthy, and then something pops up and you don't know. So um, yeah, I, I still just approach every day as if you know like I did previously. I've got three teenage children now, so. In terms of work-life balance, that's probably work, and um, the three kids take up most of my time. So um, that, that's that's me in a nutshell. Welcome to the jungle, as they say when you have kids. Um, we talk about what Port Adelaide, and particularly you and your list management team, have done in the off-season. Jason Horn Francis, the previous year's 2021's number one draft pick, returns home to Adelaide. Now, how did this little deal get done, or not so little? Did you keep in contact with him since he's been drafted, or his manager, or can you give us some insight as to sort of the planning, or, or whether it was just potluck in the end that it popped up late? Uh, no, certainly not potluck, but I think like every every club you know, tracks the players of, of where they are in terms of their state. So, you know, the the Victorian, you know, guys are tracking the Victorian players who end up on other lists and Richmond are able to secure, you know, Taranto and Hopper and Geelong are able to, you know, attract Tanner Bruin. Obviously, us and the Crows are looking at South Australian players. Um, you know, the relationship, as I mentioned earlier, with, with the managers is critical um, in terms of understanding where players are, where they're at, um, in terms of, you know, holistically, as 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 are they are they are they comfortable living interstate? Um, do they have strong relationships with those at the club? Are they connected 
with staff. Are they connected with players? Are they getting a game every week? Are they in the best 22? Are they developing? Um, you know, they're, they're constant conversations you're having with, with managers uh, the whole whole way through. Um, and, yeah, I mean, Ben Williams obviously manages uh, Jason. We're having conversations throughout the year, and I think it was it was pretty noticeable and evident to, to everyone in the industry that, you know, and, and, and without sounding disrespectful to the kangaroos, you know, they were, they were probably an, an unstable environment at, at times, um, again, and not having a lot of success on the field. And Jace, Jace, I think, struggled in that environment and was, was unsettled um, at different times. Um, so, yeah, and, and they moved pretty quickly late, late in the piece. Um, once the season finished, I think Jace was able to come back home and spend some time with family and, and, and spent, you know, had conversation with Ben and his family around what might be the best environment for him and um, what might be best for Jace to play his, his best footy. Um, and, it, and, it, and it became pretty clear that he wanted to move back home. And, um, you know, after we met with him, you know, he was, he was really excited and, um, was hoping to get an opportunity to, and play at Port Adelaide, which, you know, were obviously ecstatic that we're able to facilitate a, a, a trade to bring him back home. You know, he's, you know, we've, we use the term he's a generational talent. And if you go back and look at all the, the, the commentary and the narrative around Jace leading to the draft and even what was said after, um, you know, he's a pretty special talent. Obviously, he's got to be able to develop that and transfer that going forward. But um, we think a lot of the challenges he had this year um, we're hoping back home closer to family and, and at our club um, that he'll be able to feel a lot more comfortable and be happy in himself and you know Warren when, you, when you're happy and you're comfortable it gives you the best chance to play your best footy. We've seen the AFL rules um, for player movement between clubs get looser and looser where do you see it going? Yeah it's, it's, it's an interesting discussion moment I, I, I was looking at some uh, you know post, post trade period just again the player movement and some trends and you know, I think there was there was you know there's 700 and you know, it's roughly 790 players each year across the competition and there was 35 players traded um, in in this period which you know, it's a, it's about four percent um, in terms of you know movement so I think we just focus on the trades that actually that actually obviously that happened but when you look at the big picture um, I think sometimes we can overreact, um, you know, to the go home. And I was looking, I think there's seven players from seven players from the 35 this year that you would consider to be go home, um, which equates to 1% of the entire playing pool. So um, I, I, I don't see it as a, as a significant issue. Um, you know, I think the AFL have introduced levers, if you like, um, you know, around being able to trade picks from next year, you know, future draft, um, you know, free agencies come in, it's at eight years, restricted, 10 years unrestricted. Will that will that reduce, um, you know, mid-season? I personally would like to see, we go from mid-season draft to being able to trade players. Um, I think the more, more levers that clubs and list managers can have to improve their list is, is only a good, good thing. Um, and I think the AFL and the Players Association will continue to look at ways to increase um, the ability for players to move move clubs. But 
you know, when you look at some of those numbers I said before, four percent overall and only one percent was go home. It's it's still not a lot of movement. Um but I, I think I think the I think that and I've said this before, I think what's changed again, talking to managers, getting a feel from players is what free agency has done, it it's it's created it's shifted the mindset, I think, of, of players around the notion of being a one club player has definitely changed. I think players are open-minded um, to looking at other opportunities and what else is out there, even prior to them becoming a free agent. I definitely think the mindset of the playing industry has shifted. What about um, players uh, being traded against their will, uh, Jason? Do you think uh, that would happen? Do clubs want it? Is the AFL ready for it? I think the clubs, I think the clubs would certainly... Um, would, would, would you know? I think they'd like that at their disposal. Um, I don't think it'll ever happen though. Um, from from the players' association point of view, I think they've pushed back pretty hard, and the, and the player managers have also done that. Um, have resisted that change. Um, obviously, the power does lie uh, with, with with the players. You know, I, I've thought about you know the the, the, the players who are contracted versus uncontracted and you know the, the the noise around restraint of trade and understand that but i think the, the freedom's there for the players when they're uncontracted for, for for their choice of club um i think if if a player's contracted though and we don't like the idea of players breaking contracts you know I, I, is, is there is there a mechanism that can be in place where you know if a player's contracting you you use the Luke Jackson, for example, if he was contracted, you know, Jason Lord France is another good example because he was contracted. If he wants to, if the, the reason is to come home, well, can can the clubs in that state have access and the club that he's leaving actually dictate where he ends up based on what the best deal is available? Um, so, you know, the Kangaroos could, you know, negotiate with both clubs and if you're contracted, that's, that's your lot. Um, you actually don't, get that choice, you know, and I think from an equalisation point of view, I think that's more of a concern, you know, for the Victorian-based clubs, you know, Geelong and Richmond, for example, um, you know, Jacob Hopper, who's contracted, so he comes, wants to come home, you know, it strengthens the, the, the clubs that are up the top of the ladder, he picks Richmond, you know, if Jacob Hopper wants to come home in future and he's contracted, well then GWS, can they, they should be able to deal with the club that gets them the best deal. Um, yeah. If if players, if the players' sole reason is to get home, well, you're still getting back to Victoria, but you're going to the club where the best deal can be done for the club that you're leaving. Um, you know, I just think having those discussions and what that might look like. I'm sure the players and the players' association will push back on that, but I certainly think it's worth having the discussion around. If you're breaking a contract, what does that look like? How do we help? You know, equalisation. What does that actually look like? Because there's no doubt that the Victorian-based clubs, the ones that are performing, you know, the, the, the Collingwoods, the Richmonds, the Geelongs, the players that are coming home, they, they want to go to those clubs. Um, and I think it's a significant advantage for them. What about the length of contracts? Um, I mean, you guys signed uh, Jason Horn francis to a six-year deal. We've seen Brody Grundy get seven and then and then go. Buddy Franklin, nine. Um, are these... Are these- Length of contracts creating problems is it uh, is it is it good for the game or not good for the game? Good for the players? Yeah, again, I think that's been a a, 
a byproduct of free agency. Um, you know, a lot a lot of these deals started off pre um, pre the player becoming a, a free agent, whether it be a year or two prior. Um, you know, so it, it takes them off the free agency market. Um, I think it's horses with courses. Like, I think it depends where you're at with with your entire list and how many players you've got contracted and how far out. Um, you know, 90 percent of our players were coming out of contract this year, next year, and twenty. We we didn't have many players on long term deals, so you know we were prepared to give Jason Horn Francis a five year deal, and he's nineteen, so he comes out of contract at twenty four. I think you know you you straight away the, the the risk is is less, isn't it? Just based on his age of nineteen, I think if you're giving a six seven year deal to a player who's twenty six twenty seven, that obviously you know, increases the risk and what that might look like if the player does decline quicker than 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 you thought. Um, you know, I look at the Christian Petrarchas and the Clayton Olives. I think it depends on the player as well and their level of performance and their level of consistency and their level of durability. You know, I look at Clayton Oliver, um, you know, six, seven. I mean, unless something unforeseen happens with, with injury, he just plays the same game every week at a really high level. Um, so I think, again, the risk is the risk is, is lessened. Um, same with Petrarca. So I think, it, I think it depends on where your list is at, how many players you have on long-term deals, the age of the player, um, and their level of performance, consistency, and their durability. I think all those factors um, obviously form how far out you're prepared to contract them for. Do we need to get rid of free agency compensation like we see overseas? There is none. If you're out of contract, you just go. Yeah, and I, I, I think we've and the AFL have, have certainly conditioned the clubs that you know free agency wasn't designed um, to give clubs compensation. Um, so I, I, yeah, I, I don't see it as, as as an issue. I think that the system works at the moment. I don't think it necessarily change. Um, the movement of, of free agents, um, you know, and I think, you know, for example, for us, we 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 received pick twenty seven for for Carl Amon, um, which you know you you you, you know and it's, you know the, the the criteria for the compensation, it, it's pretty clear. It's it's the age of the player, and the and the average salary, guaranteed salary. Um, so you know the debate then goes, well, what what what's 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 fair compensation? What's not? Um, and then it obviously gets gets attached to where you finish on the on the ladder, um, which which probably distorts it a little bit. You know, I think the classic example was Buddy Franklin when he left Hawthorne, first round pick. They finished top, so it's pick nineteen. You know, or I think Melbourne um, were close to the bottom and they got pick two or three for for Frawley. So I, I think I think that's where it needs to be looked at. I think maybe if it's given at the end of rounds. Um, I think certainly think it's worth discussing um, in terms of the compensation and where where it's placed, not attached to where you're on the ladder. But you know, we received pick 27 for Carl Amon, but we're able to we're able to trade that pick 27 out to 33 for other picks, and in the end, that we're able to basically turn that 27 the equivalent of pick 14. Um, so in isolation, yeah, we would have we would have liked more for Carl, but. You know, we were able to get that that pick in in into trade pretty quickly, and it was able to we were able to accumulate more draft capital. So, I, I don't I don't have an issue with the compensation, other than as I said, that I don't like how it's attached to where you finish on the ladder. 
We spoke to uh, agent Marty Pask and he said he hates how some clubs in particular, um, it's not your club, he said he gave you a, a, a big positive, but they haggle over pointless picks to, and it holds up trades. What's your uh, mantra when you're trying to acquire a player? Yeah, well, it, again, each club has their own uh, their own philosophy in, in terms of how they approach trade period. Every list manager has their own um, characteristics, um, and 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 part of it also in terms of you know I mentioned before that knowledge is king. It's also knowing who you who you're negotiating um, against, if you like, um, or who you're in discussions with in terms of trying to facilitate trades. I mean. Our philosophy, and certainly my philosophy, has always been to to be realistic. Uh, we don't we don't look for big wins. Uh, we don't worry about the optics of a specific trade. And to what we spoke about before, are we winning or are we losing? Well, who knows? At that time, you might think you're winning, but in five years, it's a disaster. Or or at the time, it looks like a a loss, um, but in five years, it's a significant win. So we don't get caught up in are we winning? Are we losing? What's it look like? Um, we're just going with what our clear objectives are. We put our value on what it what it needs to be. Um, so I, again, yeah, the, the the haggling of later picks, uh, ego. Yes, um, some clubs like what it looks like on paper. Where I said before, they want it to be seen to be winning. Um, and in some cases, though, the swapping of later picks, it's it's real because. You know, there's other deals to be done. There's there's draft picks for where you might see players in the draft. Um, so there's reasons why those clubs are haggling over those later picks. You know, probably for us, the example with the Horn Francis deal. Um, you know, we're, we, with, with the amount of clubs that were involved, um, you know, without going into every part of the, the detail of that trade, it, it was important for us to get back you know, a pick pick in the 30s. Um, you know, we're obviously hoping that was going to be able to facilitate the trade for Asaba with Geelong. Um, but we also knew if that wasn't going to get that deal done, we, we wanted that pick in the draft. So, you know, we, we, we spent a lot of time negotiating that, you know, we knew the core part of the Horn Francis deal was going to be pick eight in our future first. It was just then what was going to happen after that, but it was really important. One of our objectives obviously not to give up any of our emerging talent, which has been well documented, but to be able to get back that pick 33 for us was was pretty important. Well, a few quick ones before we let you go, Jason. It's been great talking to you. Who is the best player you've drafted in your time at uh, the Power in terms of being a bit of a punt because they were perhaps down the list um, in terms of their number, but but they come out really well? Who, who would you be thinking that might be? I'm fortunate enough to be able to, as I said, work with with Jeff Parker. You know, we come to this together, and and you know, the first two drafts we did, you know, Parks was able to draft Chad Wingard and Ollie Wines. Um, you know, I know they're top ten picks, but as we said before, there's still a fifty percent bust rate. But you know, they're both all Australian. Ollie went on to be Brownlow medalist. Um, you know, they're they're t- terrific picks. Um, but then there's been some later ones, and we, you know, Anthony Parkins come in and and, and been a part of the team where we picked Dan Houston as a rookie. I think he was picked 45 for memory. Um, you know, Carl Amon a pick in the 60s, Darcy Byrne-Jones in the 50s. Um, you certainly uh, gain more joy from from some of those later picks as much as you do as the Chad Wingards and Ollie Wines. But um, 
No, we're fortunate that we've got a got a great team that, you know, led by led by Parks. Um, you know, they're able, they've they've got a pretty pretty high success rate of of being able to nail those early picks, which are which are critical. You know, if you if you get them wrong, um, it sets you back. But equally important, if you can if you can find, you know, some 150 200 game players with later picks, um, that's equally as important. Every year we hear clubs saying we couldn't believe you got to our number. Um, he got through to us. Do we believe that, or is that actually genuine? Or when you think, when you're from afar, do you think, "Oh, hang on, we might have missed one." It'd be nice. Oh, I said, "Yeah, it'd be nice." It, it, after every draft at the club, clubs handing their actual order to the AFL just to have a look at that to see the top fifty. Yeah, the top fifty, just to see hits and misses and sliding doors, and yeah. So I mean, every club evaluates it differently. So every club would leave draft night. Pleasantly surprised that a player got through to where they did, but again, it's a pleasant surprise, and you think you've had a win at the time. But three or four years, it, it, there, there might be a reason why they they slid out where they did because it was a bust. <laughs> and Jason, if you didn't stay in footy, what would you be doing right now? Do you think? Uh, yeah, look, I've I've had a close affiliation with with leading teams over a long period of time. Two two of my ex teammates, Justin Peckett and Daniel Healy. Um, are running that business with with Ray McLean, so um, that that's something I've been passionate about. Um, that's probably where the space I'd be I'd be working in um, if I wasn't if I wasn't working the AFL. In the trade period, have you ever lowballed a club and they actually took it? And if so, who? And if so, which club? <laughs> we don't go in with with that that attitude. We're very um, realistic with with what we do. <laughs> Damn, thought we Good answer, Jason. Very nice diplomatic answer there. And uh, it's been fantastic talking to you, mate. Thanks for your time today. It's been really revealing about uh, some of the uh, the stuff that goes on around list management and draft. So we really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks, mate. Trellers, uh, thanks for your company today. And uh, thanks to Jason Cripps uh, for his uh, time uh, with TheBigDeal.au. That's where you can find this podcast and the newsletter every week. We look forward to your company again very soon. Before you go, don't forget to join our community by subscribing for free at www.thebigdeal.au and get a weekly email bringing together the hottest sports deals, breaking sports biz news as it happens and much more. Join me at www.thebigdeal.au.